Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the great privilege that we have to be here together with you. And we ask your blessing to be with us, to draw close to us, to help to open our eyes and our ears to everything that you want us to know. And Lord, everything that you want us to be. So draw close, we pray, in a very special way, and let your spirit speak to our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned, I didn't grow up in an Adventist home. Uh, my parents were not Christians, and we didn't go to church very much. We went to church some on the holidays. But my grandparents actually were uh, Christians. My one set of grandparents were Methodists, and my other grandparents were Church of the Nazarene. I used to go with uh, them to church a little bit when I was young. And my one grand, uh, set of grandparents, they were actually in a gospel singing group. And my grandpa sang, and my uncle played piano, and they had a couple other people in the group, and my grandmother played the drums. Now you can imagine grandma sitting back there, and she, my grandma was literally probably about this tall, and she's back there playing the drums as they would travel around the Midwest and do uh, concerts for people. It was quite an interesting thing. I actually learned how to play the drums by watching her. And so I haven't done that in a very long time, but I did know how to play. I probably could still do it if I tried. But anyway, as I was growing up, my, as you heard, my last name is Peppers. And as I was growing up, I had fire red hair. So you can imagine, I, used, I went to public school. My first encounter with Adventist education was when I started working on my master's degree at Andrews. I didn't go to Adventist elementary school. I didn't go to Adventist academy or Adventist college. I went to public school. I graduated from a state university. So I had many experiences in the public realm, but none in the Adventist realm. So you can imagine growing up in, an, in a public school, having the last name Peppers and having fire red hair, how that went over. Fortunately, God gave me some form of mercy because as I was growing up, I was always the biggest kid in my class. And so most of those kids, whenever they would, you know, they would call it out, I would catch them on the playground later in the day and take care of it. And so, uh, you know, I, I at least had some form of help. So as I grew up, my relationship with my dad was not very good. My dad was not raised in a loving home, and he didn't know how to communicate love. And so oftentimes he would just yell and scream, and he would be off doing his own thing, and I... I really never connected with him very much. And so that made things kind of difficult in our home. And I'll tell you a little bit about, more about that later on. But as I was growing up and I got into high school, uh, I became a, a big football star. And I was very much involved in football and sports. And I, there's actually a Bible text that I want to share with you that really correlates to my entire life. If you have a Bible or if you have it on your phone, you can turn to it. And it is in Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. The Bible says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. Now, in my life, especially in my younger life, these three things were really the core of my life. The Bible said, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. 
Well, when I was growing up in uh, high school and in college, I was often at the top of my class, or, or at least in the top 10%. Um, I rarely ever studied, but I would always seem to make, do well on my tests. Um, the teachers really liked me, and when I got into college, I was usually on the dean's list or, or, the, or the president's list, and um, I, I just literally gloried in my wisdom. I had uh, the ability to, to score high on academics, and so that was something that I really took a lot of pride in. The Bible says, let not the mighty man glory in his might. Well, when I was in high school, I mentioned that I played football. And I'll just give you a little bit of background of that. I'm going to show you some pictures here. Oh, he's got the clicker, I think. All right. So, uh, this is my family. This is my wife and my son and my daughter. And uh, that's my wife and my daughter and my son, Levi. He's six, and that's my daughter, Liana. But as I was growing up, I played football. So as, when I was a freshman, I weighed about 205 pounds. Now, I don't recommend this. But football really consumed my life. And I wanted to, my, my ultimate goal in life was to be a college football player. And then I wanted to be a high school teacher and a football coach. That's what I wanted to do with my life. And so when I was a freshman, I weighed 205 pounds. And I was the biggest freshman in the class. And I was the only freshman to letter in football. And very something that happened to me between ninth and 10th grade was something that I really think impacted the rest of my life. So between the ninth and 10th grade, my football coach told me that when they, when he was playing college football, when they could not afford steroids, that they would go down and they would buy something called calf starter. And I don't know if any of you grew up in the South, but uh, if you know what calf starter is, it's when a mother cow gives birth to a calf, there's something called colostrum, which is the first milk. Have you ever heard of that? And a colostrum is high in fat, high in protein, high in carbohydrates, and will really allow that calf to grow very quickly, and it puts that, the, the meat and it gives it all the vitamins and nutrients it needs to grow uh, and, and to establish itself so it doesn't get sick. Well, oftentimes when cows will sometimes give birth, they will also, sometimes the mothers die. And so we have this man-made colostrum, or sometimes if the cow can't feed. So they had this stuff called colostrum, or calf starter, that was in a powder form, and it's not intended for human consumption. But nonetheless, I went down to the feed store between my ninth and 10th grade year, and I said, hey, I need a bag of calf starter. And the guy said, wow, you must have, you know, you got cows? And I said, well, not really, but something like that. And so I bought the calf starter, and I began to take it. And so from my, the summer of my ninth grade year to my 10th grade year, I gained about 25 pounds, and I was very, uh, growing very quickly, becoming very strong. My junior year, I weighed about 250, and then my senior year in high school, I weighed about 265. Now, by the time I was a senior in high school, I was very dedicated. I spent a lot of time in the weight room, and I was bench pressing 450 pounds. I was squatting 700 pounds and leg pressing 1,800 pounds. So I was, I still, not that I, I don't really, I, I tell you this with all my heart, I don't really care, but I still hold the county weightlifting record uh, for our school and for the whole county. And so I was very big, I was very strong, and I was very fast. 
and I was the best football player that our school had ever had, <clears throat> and I was the first player to ever have the opportunity to get a college scholarship to play college football. So there were a number of things that actually impacted uh, my life when I was in high school, and I'm going to tell you just a couple of them. Number one, I, when I was in ninth grade, I began to hang around some of the older guys in the school, and the juniors and seniors, and they would begin to invite me out with them to do, um, you know, to do a camp out or whatever for the weekend. And that's where, in ninth grade, I was handed my first beer. And so I began to drink some beer. I was handed my first joint. I began to smoke some marijuana. I was handed my first cigarette. And uh, I started dipping Copenhagen and, and Skull and all that kind of stuff. I used smokeless tobacco. So by the time I was in 10th grade, it went, I, I had previously just on the weekends gone out with my buddies to go drinking. Then when I was in 10th grade, it got to where I would start bringing the alcohol to school with me. I would have a bottle of liquor in my pocket, and as the teacher would be writing something on the board during class, I would pull out that bottle and I would take a sip of it. And uh, I became, you know, I was often be drunk even during school, but my teachers never really knew it. But other students knew it, and I became known as the school drunk. And so it became really out of control when I was in 10th grade. I developed an alcoholic behavior, and my coach finally found out about it, and he sat me down, and he said, hey, listen, you have the, an opportunity that no one else in the history of our school has ever had, and if you don't uh, change the way that you're living, then you're never, going to, you're never going to accomplish that. He said, you're going to throw your life away. So between my 10th and 11th grade year, basically out of sheer willpower, I stopped drinking and I really focused on my school and I really focused on my football. So by this time, there were quite a number of universities that were looking at me. So here's a couple pictures. Here's me as uh, a senior uh, with the other seniors. I had all kinds of awards. I had all state, all county. I was all area. Here I am on the all-state uh, team. This is the Birmingham News right there in Alabama. The year tells you my age. I'm not that old. I'm not even 40 yet. Um, and there's another clip there. I was being recruited by a number of universities, including like the Florida Gators, the Tennessee Volunteers, Auburn, and Alabama. Um, I was getting letters all the time. And uh, these schools were after me. And my coaches were trying to prepare me. Well, um, I... It was very interesting because I was like the, the um, kind of the glory of the community. Everybody knew me, everybody liked me, and really I had everything that everybody said you need to, ha to, be, to have a successful life. I had good grades, I was going to uh, go to school and get, have a good job, I had popularity, everybody liked me, and everything that people say in this life you need to be successful, I had all those things. And yet, in my heart, there was really something missing, and I didn't really know exactly what it was at that time, but I knew that something was missing. Despite having all these things and, and, and all this stuff, I, I still did not have a fulfillment and a true satisfaction in my heart and in my life. And so I began to explore all kinds of things, and um, those things didn't provide either, and I'll, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that later. Now, there were two major life-changing events that happened in my life when I was a senior in high school. The first 
was uh, this one right here. I had an, uh, an injury my senior year in, in high school. And we were playing this school that was the, um, they were the, the biggest rival of, of the year. They weren't, we weren't much of a rival for them, but they were our biggest rival. And they usually, they usually beat us every year pretty bad. And we had not won against this team in like 20 years. And so we played them. In my junior year, we beat them for the first time in like two decades. Then my senior year, we were really, had a really good team, and we were probably going to beat them again. And in, in, in the fourth game of the season when we played them, it seemed like every year we played them, the, it would rain like crazy, and it would be pouring, and it would be raining. Well, this year there was no rain in the forecast. But about two hours before the game started, it just started to pour, and it started to rain. And it was raining so hard that you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. And by the time the game started, the field looked like a lake. And so within five minutes, we were all muddy and dirty, and we had mud sticking in our face mask and all that. And so as we were playing the game, uh, I, was, um, I played offensive line, I played offensive guard, and I played defensive end. And we were running this play, and as I was running, I was... Uh, the play ended early and I was slowing down trying to stop because I was running full speed and as I was running uh, I stepped in a mud hole and when I stepped in the mud hole you know what happens when you do that right does your foot just pop right back out no it sticks doesn't it so my foot got stuck in the mud hole so my foot stayed there and my body kept moving forward and when that happened my knee just snapped right in half and my coach was probably about 15 feet away from me, and he said that he heard the pop when it snapped. And so I, I fell down on my back, and I was just laying there. And I realized, you know what, I think I just had this sinking feeling like something happened and I'm finished. And so I got up, I tried to go back in, I couldn't do it, I couldn't put any weight on it. And the next week, I went to the doctor and uh, he did some, you know, some scopes or whatever, some scans, and I found out that my entire knee had been just basically demolished. I tore a bunch of ligaments, and there was no way that I was going to be able to continue that season. He said, your season is over, and I would have to have surgery. Now, this was very interesting because this was the, one of the beginnings of my, my, um, my, I guess I would say my God encounter, if you want to call it that, but I remember sitting in the doctor's office, waiting for him to come back in after I'd had the scan. And for the first, one of the first times in my life, I actually truly prayed to God. And this was my prayer. I said, God, if you really love me, and if you really care about me, please don't let me be permanently injured and let me keep playing football this year. That was my prayer. Now, what kind of prayer is that? That's kind of a selfish prayer, isn't it? First time I'd ever really talked to God, and I said, God, please let me keep doing what I love doing. And no joke, as soon as I prayed that prayer, about five to ten seconds later, the doctor comes into the room, and he says to me, well, we've got your results back, and it comes to find out that your knee is totally destroyed, and you're going to have to have surgery. Now, I had just prayed the prayer. What? What was it? God, if you love me, and if you care about me, Please don't let me be injured. Well, when he came in and told me that news, I thought to myself, wow, what kind of a God is this that would allow me 
to, to suffer through this and, and to not be able to do something that I really loved, that I was really interested in. Little did I know that this was the beginning of my journey towards God. And the reason that I was upset and, and, and not happy about the answer to that prayer is because of my lack of true understanding about who God really was. You understand? That God actually had a much better plan than what my little selfish thoughts and my little selfish mind could hold and, and, and believe and understand at that particular time in my life. And so that really kind of at that time really resonated very negatively with me. The other thing that really made a difference in my, um, in my life, my senior year, was that my parents actually ended up getting a divorce my senior year in high school. My mom found out that my dad had been cheating on her and uh, he had been going off for several weekends claiming he was going to work, but actually he uh, was seeing other women. And my mom discovered that and it was like my entire family just began to crumble. I had watched all my other friends in high school, many of them, their parents had either, were either already divorced or were getting divorces. And I remember thinking the thought to myself, you know, I'm so glad that I don't have to worry about that. And I thought, I had this little idea in my mind that my parents will never get divorced. They will never uh, leave each other and, and they'll always be together. But then the day came when my mom told us that my dad had another woman. And it was very, very challenging. And, and this woman was very cruel and she did all kinds of nasty things to us. She had our power cut off. She poisoned my dog. Um, she would send people to our house at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning and they would beat on the windows all the way around the house and then drive away. I mean, it was just crazy. Our life was just kind of in, in chaos. Finally, my mom, after pleading with my dad he, uh, to, to stop this, he decided he was actually going to move out. So he moved out and he moved in with his girlfriend and we were left there alone. My, we didn't have really any money for any food. We didn't have money to pay the bills. My mom had to uh, start working and she had a job where she had to report to work at about three o'clock in the morning. And so she would work all day uh, until the afternoon and then she would come home and she would change her clothes and she would, um, she would drive um, around the community trying to find my dad and trying to find out where he was. And so that was my life. My sister and I were, were left alone and this was my life for two or three years while I was in high school. Well, my mom, I remember one time, she had found my dad, and my mom had actually bought a pistol because of the threats that this woman was making against our family. And I remember uh, one day that my mom had confronted my dad. He was parked in this certain place in his vehicle, and he had his girlfriend with her. And my mom was going on, and she would tell the woman, don't you know that this man left his whole family with nothing to be with you? And doesn't that impact you? Don't you care about that? And, and they were going back and forth. And I remember that my dad just put his hand up and he stopped my mom and he said, he looked her right in the eye and he said, listen, I want to tell you that I just do not love you anymore. I love this woman. This was after 20 years of marriage. And he said, I love this woman and I don't love you. Well, he wasn't with that woman for very much longer, so it wasn't really love, obviously. But when he said that, my mom 
literally just snapped. And she dove into the vehicle. Like she, she drove through the rolled down window. My dad was sitting in the truck. And she's like lunging at my dad with her hands, trying to get her hands around his throat. She starts to try to choke him. And I had to grab her by the waist and pull her out of the truck. And when I did, she had her purse on her shoulder and she, she starts reaching in her purse for that pistol. And I told my, and I saw the, I looked down, I saw the pistol in the, in the bag and I said, Dad, you better get out of here. She's about to kill you. And I reached over and grabbed my mom's hand as I was pulling her the rest of the way out of the vehicle. I grabbed her hand and prevented her from pulling that gun out. And my dad started the truck and drove off. This was the type of chaos that I was living in for a number of years. Uh, my dad would often promise my sister that he would come and pick her up. My sister was 12 years old at the time. He would promise to come and pick her up and take her for the weekend. And she would pack her bag on Friday after school. And she would sit by the window and she would wait. She would be watching the driveway just sitting there for hours, and my dad would never show up. Time after time, if he did show up once out of every five times, he would pick her up, take her to get a sandwich, and then he would take her over to my grandmother's and drop her off for the weekend, pick her back up on Sunday, and take her for another sandwich and bring her back home. And, and so my sister and I never really made a connection with my dad. And still to this day, I don't have really a relationship with him. Some of you grew up in that many of you grew up in the church and you have parents that may not be perfect you may have parents that that don't always do things the way you would like them to do it or maybe they don't allow you to do certain things or maybe they are trying to guide your life in a certain direction but i can guarantee you that at least most of you if not almost all of you have parents that care about you and the reason they're trying to guide you a certain way is because they understand what's on the other side of the fence that, that where you're trying to get to, and they know that it's not ideal. To this day, I've never had parents that have guided me. I've, it's almost like even today I have four children instead of two. And so it's very challenging. Well, one day I came home, and my mom was laying on the couch. And when I talk, began to talk to her, uh, her speech was slurred, and she wasn't, uh, she wasn't talking right. I didn't, I didn't understand what was happening, but she would, she would slur her words, and, and she wasn't making any sense. And so I, would, uh, I, I called my dad, and my dad came over, and he went in, and he talked to her. My sister and I went to our room, and then I heard my dad leaving, and I went out and said, so what's happening? He said, well, she's sick. I'm going to go up into town. I'm going to get some, some medicine and then I'll be back and within 30 to 40 minutes. So after 30 minutes, he, he wasn't there. 45 minutes, he wasn't there. I tried to call him. His phone was off. And um, after an hour, I kept trying to call and there was no answer. So probably, finally, I called my grandparents. Um, I told them what was happening and I said, you need to call an ambulance. So I called an ambulance and they came and picked up my mom, took her to the hospital. And to come to find out, my mom had actually attempted suicide. She took 25 sleeping pills trying to wake up, I'm sorry, trying to go to sleep and never wake up. And so they actually pumped her stomach and thankfully uh, she lived through it. Um, but she, uh, she was never the same after that. To this day, she's not the same. I later found out when I did reach my dad, 
I, I confronted him about this, and I said, I want to know, did mom tell you that she had taken those pills? And finally, after he hum-hauled around, he, I wouldn't let him out of it, finally he admitted that he, she had actually told him that she had taken those pills, and he intentionally left her there to die. He wanted her to die because she had so interrupted his life by chasing all his girlfriends and all this kind of thing, he just wanted her to be out of the picture. And he had intentionally left her there to die. When that took place, I was so angry and I was so bitter at my dad that I told him, I said, look, I never want to see... We had a few uh, interactions and some of them actually got quite physical. I was a big guy in those days. My dad's a big guy, but at that time I was bigger and I was stronger than him. And uh, I kind of pushed him around a little bit, and I said, listen, I never want to see your face again. And I said, and when you die, I will come to your funeral just so that I can spit on your grave. But other than that, I never want to see you again. And after that, I did not see or talk to my dad for over three years. For over three years. I did forget to mention this to you, uh, but when I was six years old... <clears throat> My grandmother, my mother's mother, was killed in a car accident. They were driving after Thanksgiving to go to a bingo game. And when they were traveling, there was a guy who was an epileptic. He had epileptic seizures. And because of that, he was not allowed to have a driver's license. Well, he decided the day after Thanksgiving that it would be a good idea for him to go down to the liquor store and get himself a little Thanksgiving celebration drink. And so he borrowed his buddy's car without a driver's license and he drove down to the store. And as he was driving, he had a seizure. And when he had the seizure, his foot, his, his legs locked out and his foot was on the gas pedal and he had the gas pedal floored and my grandparents were sitting at a, at a uh, stoplight and he slammed into the back of them. And uh, when they did that, it threw my grandmother out and her head hit the top of a telephone pole. And she, pulled, she was jerked back into the car. My grandfather was thrown out. The woman in the back, their friend, was actually instantly killed. And so when he let off that, he, the, the seizure subsided and he, and he let off and the car backed away. And then he had a seizure again and he slammed into them a second time and threw my grandmother out again. Her head hit the same telephone pole, and she died. She, the first time they said she was probably paralyzed, the second time she died. And so my life was full of these disasters. This guy never had to go to jail, never had any type of justice. He got off scot-free. I don't understand it. I was six years old. But all my life, I had had these tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And by this time, I'm about 20 years old, and I'm at a, a junior college, and I'm wondering, why does all this stuff happen to me, right? And I began to study uh, some writings by Thomas Jefferson, letters he had written to Thomas Paine, and he wrote about all the reasons why he didn't believe in God, why he believed that Jesus Christ never existed. And they would write back and forth. And as I read these arguments by Thomas Paine, I said, you know what? That makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. And the more I studied that, the more I could, was convinced 
that there couldn't possibly really be a God. Then I was in, uh, later on, I was in public university, and I was, uh, the major I was taking was uh, Geographic Information Systems, GIS, and I had, a, I had a, um, a lot of geography and anthropology classes, and all my professors were anti-religion, they were atheists, they had no desire to um, be in any way even considering that kind of a thing. And so, through all the circumstances of my life, and through the current circumstances that I was, and the things I was learning at the university, I decided that I would become a self-proclaimed atheist. And so that's exactly what I did. And when I made that decision, my whole life changed. How many of you have read uh, the book of Ecclesiastes? You've read that book before? Where in, the, in chapter 1, Solomon basically says, oh, I, you know, whatever my heart desired, that's exactly what, what I did. What, I did not restrain myself from anything. You remember reading that passage? That what began, became the course of my life. And whatever I wanted to do, that's what I did. There was one time I stayed up for three days and two nights playing video games. I actually paid my roommate to make me, a, to make me food so that I wouldn't have to get up. The only reason I got up was to go to the bathroom. And I later read in the newspaper that some other guy had stayed up that long and he had a seizure and he died. It brought on a seizure. I had all kinds of relationships that were not appropriate. You could, that's all I can say about that. I became addicted to alcohol again. There were times I would drink an entire case of beer a day. I was addicted to pornography. I was addicted to just about anything you can be addicted to. And my life was a wreck. And I thought to myself, surely I'm going to find true happiness in all of these things. And I just kept doing them. And the more I did them, the more depressed I got. And sometimes we think, man, if I could just, if I could just break free from all these rules and all this, this Adventist culture and all this stuff you can and can't do, if I could just break free from that stuff, then I could really be me. And I could do what I wanted to do and I would really be happy. And I know very few people who when they do that are truly happy. In fact, I don't know anyone. But I do know a lot of people that will put on a front that they're happy but when you actually break it down, they're not happy at all. And so I became so depressed. And I, did, I was doing these things, and I didn't even know what an Adventist was. I had no idea what an Adventist was. And so I became so depressed that I actually had five alarm clocks on one side of me, and I'm sorry, three on one side and two on the other. And when they would go off, I still couldn't get up out of bed in the morning. I was drinking all day. My life was a living wreck. And I thought to myself, you know what? If this is what life is really like, if this is what the purpose of life is, why even exist? Why even, why even, you know, why even, why even live? And so I began to consider suicide because I didn't know what else to do. And the only thing that prevented me from, from committing suicide that day was because I wanted to think about it a while because I wanted to do it in such a way that my parents and my family would actually feel the weight of that and that they would feel responsible and accountable for my decision. And 
I wanted them to feel guilty for the rest of their life. And so I began to think about how can I do that? How can I make that happen? You know, it's very interesting because I had everything, I mentioned this earlier, I had everything that the world says you need. I was, I was going to have a degree and a good job. I had basically any woman that I wanted. I could do whatever. I, I was totally free. I, I was doing all the things that I thought would make me happy. And yet I was depressed. You know, it's so interesting that in today's world, we have more gadgets, more games, more things to hold our attention, more things to do than we've ever had before, and yet this society is one of the most miserable that we've ever had in the history of the world. How many of you have ever thought about that before? Why is that the case? Because happiness and true joy are not found in those things, you understand? The good job and all this stuff... uh, to get my degree, and all, I'm, not, I'm not against getting degrees, but that's not the object of life, you understand. And so as I thought about suicide, it's very interesting, and it's totally divine intervention, that God began to impress upon my heart, why don't you study the Bible? I could not get rid of the thought, why don't you study the Bible? It was the craziest thing. I don't know where it came from. And the first time I thought it, I thought, you know what? I'm not interested in this. I have no desire to study the Bible whatsoever. I absolutely hated Christians with a passion. If you would have come to me and said anything spiritual or anything about the Bible, I would have cursed you out and told you to get lost. You would have left crying in tears. When my mother's life was ripped apart and torn apart, by the divorce, some of her co-workers are trying to get her to go to church with her and join a support group. I told my own mother, there is no God. All that stuff is a bunch of fairy tale. Don't believe it. It's not true. It's for weak people. That's what I said. But I couldn't get this thought out of my mind. Why don't you study the Bible? And th- so the more I tried to get it out, the more it came. And, and finally, I just yielded to it. And I said, okay, I'm going to study the Bible and I'm going to prove it to be false. And then I'm going to commit suicide because there's nothing else. There's nothing left after that. If there is no God, there is no purpose. My life is terrible. I don't want to live it, and I'm just going to end it. I'm just going to to check out and be done with it. So I pulled out this old Bible. I had 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 no Bible uh, previous to that. The only Bible that I had was one that my grandma gave me years ago. You don't throw anything away that grandma gives you, even if you're an atheist and it's a Bible, right? So I pulled out that Bible... And I knocked it off, and I started to read. And I didn't know what I was reading, but ironically, at the same time, even though I had told my uncle, don't talk to me about religion, I went to visit him one day, and he said, hey, I know you told me not to give you anything, he said, but I I just felt so impressed to give this to you. And he gave me a stack of Amazing Facts Bible study lessons. And I took those Bible studies and I went to my apartment and I said, all right, I'm going to prove that God doesn't exist. I began to study the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation and I was literally blown away that the Bible foretold thousands of years of world history with perfect accuracy. Perfect accuracy. And there's no way to refute it. I went to my atheistic professors, they couldn't refute it. And the more I studied, the more I was convinced that this is not any ordinary book 
This is a book that is of divine origin because no human mind could have orchestrated world history to match what the Bible said. Most young people today that I talk to who, who don't uh, believe in what our church teaches is because they've actually never studied it for themselves. That's what I find, that most do. I haven't found, ever found any person that studied our message and said, yeah, that's just a bunch of garbage. No, when you study it, it's the truth, and it brings conviction to your heart and conviction to your life. And as I studied, I became convinced that the Bible was true. And then I began to read the Gospels, and I found in the life of Christ something that I had never found before. I found somebody who was unlike any other person I had ever met. So loving, so kind, so unconditionally loving, but also unselfishly loving. And I found that Jesus had given all so that I could live. And he had made a way of escape for the life that I was living, which was killing me. And I wanted to kill myself for. And I remember the night that I, that I knelt down for the first time in my life. And I yielded and I surrendered my life to Christ. It was a day that I'd never forget. And, that, and I'm tell, I don't want to sound cliche about it, but I truly had a peace and I truly had an experience that I'd never had before in my life. And it wasn't some light in the room. It wasn't some great feeling. But there was a sense that I had made a connection with my Creator and I asked Him to forgive me for the life that I had lived and it changed my life forever. There was a power in my life that broke the power of the alcohol, broke the power of pornography, broke the power of all these things that had controlled me for so long, and it had transformed my life. And I want you to know today that God is real. I don't care if every atheist in the world were in this room telling me it was false, I know that it's true. Not just because of some nilly-willy experience that I had, but because of the evidence that I found. There was hardcore evidence from Scripture and in the world that the Bible is true and can be trusted. And if you will be willing to be serious about exploring it, God will reveal Himself to you. The problem with many Adventists today, and I'm not trying to be nasty about it, but the problem with many Adventist young people is that they don't get serious about really knowing who God is. They don't get serious about discovering the message that He has for them. And they're half-heartedly saying, well, I tried to pray and all this and it just didn't work. No, when you get serious and nothing else in life matters to you than to know Him, He will make Himself known to you and it will be very clear and it will be very powerful. So I want to challenge you today. I could say more, but we're out of time. But that, this is just a snapshot of my life and I want you to know today that this book is not an ordinary book. It is a book full of power, full of life, and full of love, and that God has a plan for your life, but you've got to be serious about it today. So I'm going to just invite you to bow your heads, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to make an appeal. It is a book full of... And as you have your eyes closed and your heads bowed, there may be somebody here today that says, God, I've spent my whole life just in a nebulous thing. I've spent my whole life just kind of here or there. I haven't really searched for you. I haven't really had a serious interest or a commitment to choose you. But today, 
God, I don't know what your situation is. And, and to be honest, it doesn't really matter what your situation is. But today, you sense God speaking to your heart. And you say, God, I, I, don't know even, I don't even know how. I don't even know what to do. But God, today, with all my heart, I want you to reveal yourself to me in a powerful way. I want to understand your message. I want to understand the power that is there. I want to experience the peace and the joy. God, somehow, here I am. I'm sitting here. Somehow, please, reach out to me as I'm reaching out to you. It's not about a feeling, but it's about living by faith. And we're going to talk about that tonight and the rest of the weekend. But if you'd like to say, Lord, today, I want to make that decision. I don't know what it'll cost me. I don't know where to lead me. But what I do know is that the other things in my life just don't seem to be working. But today, I want to try you, not just try you half-heartedly, but try you with all my heart. If that's you today, you can just raise your hand. And God sees those hands going up today. And I'm just going to pray for you. If it's your desire, friends, don't let that conviction pass you by. Make that decision today to say, Lord, I want it. I don't know how to get it. I'm trapped. But today, I'm reaching out to you. Father in heaven, we just pray that your spirit would work on our hearts. Lord, I've shared what you've done for me, Lord, but what you do for me isn't good enough for somebody else. They have to have their own experience with you, and we don't have to have lived a crazy life out in the world to to, have, to make a decision to follow you. Maybe we grew up in the church and that was our experience, and that's okay, but it doesn't matter what our experience is. Your desire to save us is still the same. And we all need to be saved. We all need to be rescued from our own hypocrisy and our own sins. And Lord, I pray today that whoever's making that decision for the first time or for the hundredth time in their hearts, that you will speak to their hearts and minds today, and that you will give them that experience that they desire. And we pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.